Welcome back to The Popular Parallax, a sci-fi limited series podcast hosted by our guest for this series, Milo Davinas, and me, Jerrica Lala. Be sure to subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at The Popular Parallax. And now... Join us on a nine-episode escapade through the epidemic-ridden hellscape of The Last of Us. Hello, everyone. I am Jerrica Lala, and who are you again? I happen to be Milo DeVenus. <laughs> and we are back for episode three of The Last of Us, the gay episode that everybody's been jazzing about on the internet. So gay. (laughs) Into it. Love it. Rainbows and zombie mushrooms for everybody. That's right. Well, it was. And gayness collide at last. Exactly. It's the combination we've all been waiting for. The combination that has clearly set the internet ablaze in joy and rapture and also some trolling some hate hate speech has been fired on twitter that's natural i mean that these days almost everything gets some hate trolling like Mm -hmm. no matter what it is so this was definitely going to set some people off and maybe part of the reason they made some of the choices they did which we will talk about oh yes it was a very special episode not without critique a news flash or spoiler <laughs> alert. Jerrica and I are the 13-year-old girls who are now basing their whole lives on this episode. Exactly. Jarek and I liked this episode, but we will have a thing or two to say, perhaps, against it. And that's okay, because a broad spectrum of opinion is important. I'm still going to do some gushing. Let me tell you. I have spent the days since the episode trying to whittle my thoughts down so that I'm not just screaming at the microphone yeah. for an hour and a half. So, you know, there, there's some feelings and thoughts. Let's begin with an exploration of the not gay part, because there were some things that the were two not... minutes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So we pick up with, uh, with Joel and Ellie, and they are outside of Boston. So just... 10 miles west, right? Yeah, 10 miles west. They're on their way to Lincoln, Massachusetts, which... Who knows where that is, but they are <laughs> Canadians. <laughs> We're like, yeah. fuck, who cares about that? <laughs> Nobody cares. I don't need to hear about that. Yeah. A show in a location that's real, like Grand Prairie or something. That's right. Um, yeah. And they we are in the post Tess's death aftermath of the previous episode. And it's clearly a very emotional moment for Joel. And Ellie is also feeling the intense awkwardness of what is clearly Joel's thought that she is to blame for Tess's death. And it is also like, it's like, you know, when you're, you take away the buffer Uh in a situation, even if it was not even done in such a violent manner. And then you're left with the one that you're, it's it's awkward. And then add to that this horrific death. And he's kind kind of going, well why were we even there to begin with exactly and poor ellie you know she may she calls him out for it and i think it's actually quite a great moment where she's like you and tess were only taking me because you wanted your battery and it was a completely selfish mission for you and you made a choice and unfortunately there were really upsetting consequences which joel obviously is not in the headspace to hear but she's not wrong Well, I really enjoyed that because she sort of does that little speech and said, so don't blame me for something that isn't my fault. And I thought we were going to get a diatribe, but he just nods. Because he is is a smart man and that he is used to obeying the female voice that is talking and saying, hey, and he, he, even against his his judgment, I think he's just like, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. So good, good call on Joel's inner dialogue. I'm sure that does not strip away any of the resentment, but at least he has a buffer in his brain to say, okay, stop, think about this. Don't blame the little girl. Tell her about airplanes instead. That's right. We do get an airplane chat, which I thought was fun. Maybe, you know, covered later on in the episode when she's like, I've never been in a car before. That's a lot of like surprise transportation moments for Ellie in this episode. Yes, there is. And by airplane, they see a wreck, like a shipwreck, but it's an airplane. 
and she goes whoa that's so cool like it's it is i do like the two perspectives of someone who was in our reality and someone who has never known that reality so everything to her is like a spaceship that has a motor in it because it's so rare yeah exactly and and so you know it's such a, a neat little dual point of view and joel is kind of stuck explaining these things to her while he's grieving and i'm sure it's bringing up a lot of that fatherhood stuff that he's had buried deep 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 down since the loss of sarah yeah that's really cool and then we wind up in the grocery store cumberland farms i think it's called yeah with some kind of like road stop like little gas station quickie mart type thing right yeah very um, video game feeling. Yeah, to... I got a Twin Peaks vibe, like this deserted mm-hmm. truck stop, sort of not truck stop, but like like stop on a highway where you just pick up your Twinkies and your. Except it's it's completely abandoned and like a like a barn. Exactly. Yeah, yeah and there's the um, that feeling, that ominous feeling of like, well, they're going to go in there because it's probably going to have supplies that you would need for your character. And there's probably a jump scare and a a small villain that you must defeat and perhaps learn some skill points. And I mean, I guess there wasn't a full-blown attack, but Ellie does go into the dark hole in the floor, which I was screaming at the television. Don't go in there, Ellie. I just wrote, not a trap door. <laughs> not this. <laughs> oh, she's going down. Yeah. Of course, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't yeah. you want to check every dark corner? <laughs> I mean, she finds something good and something bad. Exactly. So what's the bad thing? Because I found this extremely disturbing. I'm not sure if this zombie creature falls on the like second tier of infection or the full-blown clicker level, which is the third tier, because it did have the growth over a large portion of its face. But I think as long as they still have eyes, they it don't still do... seemed quite human to me. It was it was horrible. Yeah, and it was it was really upsetting. I think it was an opportunity, of course, for us to take a close look at one of these creatures because we've only seen them sort of running in and out and re- wreaking havoc. But it is also extremely disturbing to see that still human eye and just imagining what it would be like to be trapped under rubble with a mushroom growing out of your head, not in control of your body, not really eating, but just living for years very, very disturbing, drilling home the kind of horror aspect of these zombies in particular, which is how much humanity is still left in them compared to other zombie media franchises. Right. Well, he's looking right at her. I mean, he knows she's there. He's yeah. sort of great. So it's this, it's this guy, was a guy, he's been caught in part of the building collapsing onto him under all these rocks. So she's actually safe. Mm-hmm. And he's sort of reaching out, trying to, and you you think, does he want to attack her or is he in a like agony or like, oh God, I just, I don't know if I have the stomach for this show, but (laughs) then what she does actually bothered me more Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. She goes up to, when she realizes he can't really hurt her, she goes up to it and I actually thought she was going to mercy kill him, but she just slowly cuts at his face just to see what kind of stuff comes out of them. And yeah. Yeah. Like you, like, like kind of sociopathic <laughs> a little bit. Well, I was wondering if that was the angle they were going for, because she does eventually off him. She yes. runs and she chooses his eye to do it. She chooses the eye to stab right through. But I do think in the same way that the zombie was supposed to straddle both of those lines, possibly begging for her to kill him, possibly wanting to attack her at the same time. So too, do I feel Ellie's character was half, oh, wow, that's really frightening and sad and I should kill him. But also that sort of play out of- Curiosity and the- She cuts, she slices at the skin. There's a bit of a disturbing lack of fear. And yeah, she's grown up in this world, but she's been inside the quarantine zone for most of it. And actually all of it, I think. And there are those questions of like, how does this affect the psychology of a child growing up? 
yeah. what kind of sociopathy is present, not just from the apocalyptic world, but growing under, up under a military dictatorship. The violence and seeing people get hung in, a, in public and things yeah. like that. I think she's wildly desensitized, like desensitized beyond our imagination. Exactly. Right? As to what she has been exposed to. So she is different. And I, I got that watching it, but I still found it rough to watch. Exactly. And I think we'll be confronted with a lot of those scenes throughout this series. And it is extremely disturbing. And something that I do think zombie shows have recently, and by recently, I mean in the last 10 or so years with the whole zombie renaissance, have started to under... It's what they call it. They call it the zombie renaissance. It's um, not as much fun as the Dernaissance, but I guess I can go with it. Yeah, it's more fun than the original Renaissance. Raphael who? Ugh. What isn't? <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I feel like a lot of these new zombie properties really lean into this whole like, oh, the many layers of the human psyche and what does trauma really do to all of it? And yeah. Sometimes it can be a little heavy handed, but I, as disturbed as I was by this moment, I do think it was a, a well done moment for the show. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I thought mm -hmm. it, was, it was interesting because you want to know, then know more, right? Exactly. But let's and get to the, the, the rest. <laughs> we're, 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 we're spiraling into uh, Joel and Ellie, but really that was uh, 5% of the show. Or less. <laughs> we want gay shit and we want it now. That's right. So the bulk of this episode is centered on a very special couple that are introduced to us and have their entire zombie apocalypse survival played out through the span of an hour and a half, roughly. So in the town of Lincoln, where Joel and Ellie are going to, we get a flashback to the early days. 2003. Exactly. Yeah. And we see the government loading up people. And this is, of course, just after we've seen the aftermath of this, which is the people in the small towns have been rounded up, allegedly to be brought to quarantine zones. If there is room, there's very frequently not any room. And so they are mass executed in the countryside and just left in shallow graves. And one person in this town, Bill, played by Nick Offerman, is not having any of that. He's a gun toting. I imagine, I don't know if Reddit or QAnon were around back then, but a QAnon reading, Reddit reading conspiracy theorist in a bunker in his mom's house. And he deftly avoids being carried off by the I've, government. I've actually got his exact uh, words written down. Not hmm. today, you New World Order jackboot fucks which I really enjoyed, to be honest with you. But, you know, I have, I went to a couple of film festivals in the States. This is going somewhere uh, <laughs> in a very small little town that had its own Civil War field still preserved as a museum. And let me tell you, that place was full of this don't tread on me, freedom or death bullshit that was everywhere. So these guys are real. For mm -hmm. people in Canada who think this is a bit rich, oh no, like this is a thing. And I'm not saying everybody who buys these snakes biting each other bullshit are going to have 20,000 guns in their basement, but they might because they're allowed to. Mm -hmm. Yep. And we've got our share of them here. It might be harder to get a gun in Canada, but people will still get them and yeah. then we'll do all sorts of things with it. Yeah, this this is one of the points in the episode where I have a criticism or two. Um, Nick Offerman, of course, famously played Ron Swanson in Parks. Uh, Parks and Recreation. And I had similar critiques of his character in that as well. It's this very right-wing white nationalist narrative of a person who, you know, was a gun hoarder, who's very anti-government, not that the government isn't deserving of critique, but very anti-government in terms of like, I should be able to do whatever I want, whenever I want to. And these characters then get sort of a smearing of- A soft, like, teddy bear. I know, exactly. I had the exact same thought as well. Exactly. And so it seems in this episode, the ultimate conclusion. Now, of course, Bill 
at the end of this episode, he states it outright, says, I hated the world. I wanted everything to burn. And only through Frank's love and the collapse of the world did I really realize my purpose and all that. And that's all lovely and very good. But it does carry this sort of message that if you just love these white nationalist gun lovers hard enough, they will turn right. I know. I know. And also, I mean, on one hand, I did find it quite comical. My concern is the message it's putting across to people who might take it a little more seriously is that the, the twist of irony they give the show is that, of course, he's right. He's right to have all these guns and he was prepared. And now he and it's just like, guys, like, don't. How can we I th- to see to me? I just think the character could have been written a little uglier, to be honest with you. And I think that he could have handled it as an actor. Why does he have to be so funny and so Teddy Bearish? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he, they could have written him uglier, where you were like, oh, I don't know about this guy. You know what I mean? But right away, right, even when he's cursing the thing, he is likable. And what's funny about that is, now I haven't played the video game, as I've mentioned, but I did look it up after because I was very interested in how this story plays out in the game. And Bill's character is actually a huge asshole from start to finish, apparently. Much more paranoid, much more like directly on the nose with the machismo and the um, sort of threateningness of it. He is not played exactly as a joke, but he's definitely not someone to be empathized with as much as in the show yeah i think what happened was they saw an opportunity because bill is that's exactly what they saw they saw a good opportunity yeah and bill is canonically queer in the game as well so they thought okay this is a place where we should insert some queer representation and expand on the character and i do appreciate that but if you're going to make the changes, then what I would have preferred instead would have been a, a gay man or a queer person who is in community. Lots of people who have marginalized identities will tell you that they are critical of the government, that they know that when a government truck shows up to say, get in, we're taking you to somewhere safe, that that might not be trustworthy. And I would have rather seen have seen I would have rather have seen someone who was in community who was helping other marginalized identities within their community survive been abandoned by the government you could have done it in a way that doesn't sort of wink at the camera to all the bunker having yeah. fuck the government having people yeah um, it could they could have been different and so that that's sort of my major critique of the episode and the character of bill specifically because we oh, do. I definitely have a couple more. But yeah, that's, I mean, I liked Nick Offerman. I thought he did, he meant business. Like he mm-hmm. almost took over the whole thing to yeah. me, to be honest, to the point where I was hoping he would recur. And yes. I was kind of pissed also at the end of the episode. But I mean, I was thinking, I your idea is better, obviously. <laughs> but I was also thinking like, they could have also connected that because i mean i could see somebody who is this QAnon type who's like kind of like a virgin who would never come out because Mm -hmm. that would not but also give that 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 gives a reason for like i'm gonna hate you before you hate me Mm -hmm. and i'm gonna i'm gonna be so so macho and so that you you better not say i'm gay or i fuck you up you know what i mean like that could have been some kind of connection to making a very unpleasant character. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and I, I mean, that maybe wouldn't have been as positive as in community, but it also would have been a little more believable. That's for sure. You know what I, I mean? Like it would, it would give some kind of more purpose to this. Like, instead of just this, like, Oh, it's this guy. Oh, and he's gay. And then you like throw it in and you're like, what really you pick that up? Like I didn't pick it up. Like what? Like, I don't know. Yes, they did. They did, I suppose, sacrifice the opportunity for a much more unlikable character to give us some very broadly sweeping romantic moments and a very earnest love story. Well, you and you could still could have turned him Mm -hmm. to get better as the relationship progressed. You know what I mean? I just think it was too easy. Yeah. 
for him to become a good guy because he kind of was almost a good guy to start. He was just, he was just going to cranky. You know what I mean? <laughs> he wasn't like a bad, like he wasn't a guy where you'd be like, I'm really afraid of this guy. And exactly. I don't think that's Offerman's fault. I think that's what they wanted and that's what they had him portray. Yeah. That's like, for sure. Like he was, and I, I will say I kind of, because I kept going, what? Like, fun, like how funny some of it was. And I was like, maybe they just thought, we need this. We need a break mm-hmm. from how dismal and dark the show is. Because I will tell you, like, when the other guy went to play the piano and he's like, uh, no, 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 thank you. Like, I started laughing. I started uh-huh. laughing out loud because he is so fucking funny. Exactly. And you can see the writing all over this episode. The thought process was definitely, we've had two extremely grim episodes prior to this. We've just come off of a major character death that is clearly going to linger with the main characters for a very long time. We need some gentle, purely loving moments here. And some levity. And some levity. Because there was humor as well, like when they meet Joel and Tess, that's fucking funny, like some of that. So anyway, we haven't even gotten to Frank. Yes. We haven't even gotten to Frank. (laughs) Yes. I will be setting up another meeting for this episode, but it's okay. Yes, so we, we meet Frank when he plunges into Bill's deep, dark hole at the beginning. You want to talk about levity? I had a laugh there. Uh, <laughs> it, yeah, I was it just was, like, who's writing this thing? Like, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> so I saw, I saw Murray Bartlett there, and I knew he was going to be, and I'm a big fan of Murray Bartlett's work, and as soon as I saw him cast, I was like, oh, yeah, we're getting something gay. This was before, you know. Yeah. Um, the character of Frank, again, changed heavily from the video game. Not that I watched the video game, but I looked it up afterward. And um, actually, before going into it, when I first saw Murray Bartlett was cast, I just Googled what their storyline was going to be. And I read, I think it was in The Hollywood Reporter, an article that said, we're going to get the story of Bill and Frank. They are a gay couple who will appear in episode three. Their storyline will be expanded upon from The Last of Us game. And then in parentheses, it said... Frank is briefly seen as a corpse in the game. So I, going into this, had this idea that we were going to get another Bury Your Gaze storyline, which for people listening who don't know, Bury Your Gaze is the very common trope that you see where gay characters wind up dead. Yeah. Either brutally or very tragically. Um, Like what used to happen, well, still does happen to Black characters as well. They just happen once they get killed off, right? And I, yeah, I I wondered, I I was hoping, I just, I feel like this episode, they tried to put on a huge Band-Aid, and it was too big. Uh, (laughs) We needed some work on that, but. Well, so I was going into this episode with a lot of excitement, but also a lot of anxiety about that bury your gaze trope. And I will say that I was very happy that we did not get tragic death. At any point. I mean, there is a sort of grander tragedy, you know, to the world ending and and dying because you've got, well, I think it's MS that Frank I thought it was maybe it was ALS or something. Exactly. Yeah, it was a degenerative disease um, that was happening. And, you know, it drives home this idea that, okay, like, even though there are zombies running around and there are, like, horrible government agencies killing everyone, the other painful aspects of life will also continue regardless. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit in the previous episode about what it would mean to be living with a chronic condition or living with a disability in this world. And this is sort of the reality of it. And so that is that is sort of tragic, but it's still, at no point was there any sort of like gratuitous zombie massacre. Eating somebody's thing. head or so, yeah, I know. Exactly. Which is what happens to Frank in the game, from what I've read. Apparently he, and first and foremost, he and Bill, they live together for 20 years, but then they have a huge falling out. Frank steals a bunch of Bill's shit and abandons him and is on his way to meet a smuggler who's supposed to take him into the Boston quarantine zone when he gets overrun by zombies and like bitten and decides to hang himself so that he won't turn, which is very grim. And wouldn't have been my ideal 
queer. Sounds more like a show, to be honest. But I don't exactly. know what I don't know what this was, Milo. <laughs> I, I don't know what I, I I was just like what I, okay. <laughs> it's yeah. not really what I order when I want sci-fi horror, but I'll I'll sit through it and shut my mouth because. Yes, I mean yeah. it's, it's definitely not in the like massive horror side of of the story, but I do think we we needed that point of of reprieve, and I'm glad that the queer characters in the show got to be that point of reprieve mm-hmm. because there will be people in down the line who will get devoured, and we will see many more brutal deaths. I'm sure. Yeah. So to have this sort of idyllic little town safe zone for this small moment i i I appreciate the deviation from the narrative even if it does feel a little out of line with the horrors all around and that kind of thing yeah and i do like a lot of the storytelling that happened here what was the name of the director peter hoare so peter hoare the director of this particular episode is a gay man and i think he lent his lens properly to this storytelling it felt like a story of gay men told by a gay man as opposed to you know straight people doing trying to fake it yeah exactly so i did appreciate a lot of those moments there there was some tenderness there was like that one pseudo sexy moment but you know i hate that i hate (laughs) i don't want to see a straight sex scene i don't want to see a gay sex scene especially yeah. with Nick Offerman. Like, I just, I was just like, it's going on too long. And yeah. all, you know, by the way, while we're <laughs> talking about that pseudo sex scene, mm-hmm. here's another way they could have made this show more interesting. Like to me, this was boring. If this had been a man and a woman, you would have killed yourself. Okay. Like this was boring. <laughs> and to me, it followed way too closely to a standard of a straight relationship, like a romanticized version of a straight relationship and so that was part of my issue right there but that sex scene where he was like by the way i'm not a whore and i'm gonna stay here long and i was like why is it not okay to say that this starts as transactional right if you were a straight guy you would blow this guy if he would let you stay there and you can't tell me that you wouldn't people are desperate and why would you do that? And yet in horror, it's like, dude, when you leave, you have to go into God knows where and probably die. Don't act like you're not. Like, I actually, I have to tell you, it's nothing against the actor. I didn't really enjoy that other character. Mm, okay. I thought he was just written, one, like a wife, which is not enjoyable for me. And mm-hmm. then two, surely he also must have some survivalist instinct to him to have made it to that thing and i didn't see that i felt like it was just like like now i'm here and daddy's gonna take care of me kind of like i'm gonna grow strawberries out in the thing and i'm just like but you had to have some survivalist like tough ass instinct to get yourself there alone out of 10 people you can't tell me you just got lucky well that's sort of how i interpreted that um introductory moment though of him in the pit when bill asks frank oh you're alone and frank is like oh there were 10 of us and i thought yeah and i thought the implication there was that frank really did just get lucky in that moment and his whole character was set up to be sort of this person who did need taking care of and I get what you're saying about the sort of like, I don't know, daddy's going to help me moments here. Yeah, I just thought it made him boring. I just thought it made him boring. And I just felt like if we could have had a little more of that toughness, it actually would have made the moments with Tess like funnier to see Mm. that other side come out where he's like, oh, have you seen this outfit? Have you seen that outfit? If he was acting differently at other times, like acting super tough and like you better collect these guns or you know what have you and also so they have something in common to start with like i the the love story was weird to me it just happened like that right which again is why to me i was like it's okay that this is transactional and you can say they become really in love like i don't have a problem with that yeah i just found the whole thing a bit of a stretch right no i get what you mean by that and there's definitely 
nothing wrong with the transactional elements, like you said. And also, I think the show was trying to go opposite to that to show a heightened romantic. Yeah, I think that's what bugged me. Like, I was just like, Bleh. Right. And I don't, and I think, you know, as the the show's internal storyline goes on, the number of people who will survive in the apocalypse who don't have the, like, hardened, we just got to do what we got to do to survive lifestyle will diminish. Yeah. And so I think a part of it, and this is maybe me just trying to justify some of the choices here, but I think part of it might have been to show that some of the the sort of softer people will make it through, or at least in the early stages, if maybe just out of sheer luck, because again, if Frank hadn't been surrounded by 10 other people, surrounded by 10 other people to get eaten, and hadn't stumbled into that hole, and hadn't luckily found a gay man in the closet, perhaps waiting, and hadn't also been very handsome, Murray Bartlett, the character- And of- very forward for something that's not transactional. Exactly. But then maybe the uh, the the subtext was supposed to be that Frank is transactional and was playing it up in this moment. And maybe, but the episode wasn't really written like that. Like, I, it was simplistic, let's be honest. And I do think they're pandering to the audience a little bit. They're like, let's not do too much too soon. Yeah. But I feel like we're, like, so far ahead of that kind of bullshit. What else did I write? Too much beard. <laughs> Two men with beards kissing. Well, just a little bit came back, but you can't help that. I also think, and it's nothing again, nothing against the guy. I would have found them more interesting as a couple if they had been a little more different from each other. Mm-hmm. Like not two guys with gray hair and beards. Well, I think with that choice in particular, I think there is still this um this het desire to show on behalf of queer people especially gay men that gay men can still be masculine and oh i i get that i get that and i'm not saying the person had to be effeminate but did it have to be just another white guy with a white beard but that's the thing right like i would have preferred probably to to see a more diverse pair of actors i would have preferred to have seen several i would have preferred to have scrapped the whole show concept and made it all about gays in like the general thing right right. but i think in this because even though it is a gay director who directed it the episodes are still written by straight men and i think there is sort of this moment hey look bearded gay men you might think they look like your standard bro mask guy and they sort of are but they also kiss and isn't that shocking? I'm going to throw off. <laughs> that is so offensive. Yes, it's got that clunkiness to it that I think if this show had been made entirely by queer people for queer people, just wouldn't be present. And that, again, kind of underpins this episode for me of like, I'm really happy to see queer representation here. And of course. I am, you know... I, I do go for a, a simplistic romantic story every now and again. But when you sort of get through the initial like, oh, isn't this lovely that it's here? Oh, love is grand. Ha la 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 la. You find yourself sort of like, well, they could have done more. Yeah, because it got boring. It did yeah. get boring. We're going to run out of time. So I will start a second meeting. And join you again, okay? Beautiful. Okay, I'll see you there. See you in a sec. All right, we just took a little break there and did some talking. Because I'm I'm going into a hate spiral, which is what I do. Uh, And the show was not hateful. It was okay. It was Mm -hmm. fine. I enjoyed much of it. (laughs) So we were just discussing that, you know, after the initial delight of the relationship, sometimes here and there things could get a little dull. Mm-hmm. Uh, when compared to the first two episodes we've had, which were just like nonstop action, right? What they seem to do is they they jump through years of the relationship. So like first year, five year, ten year. And um, we find out that these two guys are the ones who are running this AM radio that everybody in the quarantine zone is is listening to, which is really cool idea. And yeah. we get that great scene 
or set of scenes where we get Joel and Tess and Bill and Frank having their little dinner party on the uh, lawn. Frank was talking to a delightful woman on the radio. <laughs> right away, we know who it is. Mm-hmm. It's going to be our, our buddies. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, they invite them over, which Bill is thrilled about. Like, he does not want anybody in his little neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And there they are. And it's great to get to see Tess again as a character. And just to have this, like, this was really well done. I really loved the the levity here. And even though some scenes, admittedly, in this episode were a little lagging, a little slow, and so on and so forth, these this moment in particular felt really needed. Not only to have the, like, normalcy of a dinner party, of a group of people who have survived all of these horrors, get to see these people with mushrooms growing out of their face, trying to attack them and kill them all the time, just getting to, you know, have a bottle of wine on the grass. But it's also important, I think, for us to see some aspect of the relationship that Bill and Frank have or had with Tess and Joel. It ties them back into the larger narrative overall, because this has been a very isolated kind of set of circumstances that we're getting oh, in this yeah. episode. Yeah. You know, it's nice It's nice to be reminded of the people we've already formed some connections to. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, that's what I liked is that it was finally a connection to some of the other episodes. Frankly, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, I did love seeing these characters, but you are being taken down a whole new road where you've basically literally just established a connection with the lead characters of the show. And now we're going somewhere else entirely. So it's, it's, it's almost a relief to see them there. Cause you're mm-hmm. like, Oh, okay. Like here's some ground to stand on that. I, I know where I am. And of course, Frank, Frank and, and Tess are doing the whole gay guy and a lady having our, their glass <laughs> of wine and doing that whole thing, which I don't know how they're doing in a zombie apocalypse, but somehow they're reverting. They're just we're reverting. <laughs> and then Joel and Bill are having a douche off. Like they're just <laughs> both these shitty guys. One of them's just literally holding a gun at the dinner table, point him at, and like, it's Bill, like, has his gun pointed at Joel, and Joel's being a big man, too, like, get the fucking gun out of my face, how about that? I'm just like, this is wild. This is it the was, funniest thing in the whole show. Exactly. It was so fun watching. Nick Offerman and Pedro Pascal are both such charismatic actors, and such, like, they've both got that lovable goofball personality off screen, and it's just so fun to watch them play the biggest assholes yeah. in the world. And like, God help, like, this is the one nice moment that these people are probably going to get in like the entire stretch of two decades after like war and zombies and they are still finding time to just be pieces of shit about yeah. it. And it's I a full it. pissing contest, right? Exactly. And it's, it's a, I love the, like, like, and you've got to think too, like, Joel's mentality is 2003, Mm-hmm. So it's all you can do to say, you know, you and your other person, like it, like it's the, te- this Texas guy just being like, don't be a homophobe, just be cool. Like, don't mm-hmm. say anything weird. So that was a funny layer to it to me too, mm-hmm. was that even though he's being this like ass, he's also being like, just try to, you know, say something that's not the wrong thing, but it's not really the right thing. <laughs> it's just like it's perfect for what this guy would try to say right the dueling of those two presents like they both have such presence that the poor other two the other two actors are very legit and they disappear they're disappearing Uh uh-huh because these guys are just like the presence of them like they're the kind of people if you were watching them on in a show on stage you'd never take your eyes off them and it's not about being attractive being the internet's daddy or all any of that (laughs) bullshit it is it is presence Mm -hmm. there's just you know because i mean nick offerman isn't exactly like a dreamboat i mean he's fine he's Uh cute but it's not that it's something else where you're just like i'm gonna watch everything that you you do so seeing two people like that, like, share a scene is really fun. Exactly. And it speaks to all the potential. Like, when I heard that Nick Offerman was cast in this, I was so excited. Seeing Nick Offerman and Pedro Pascal play off each other just really drives home the idea that I wish 
these characters. Okay, fine. We don't have them as the main crew alongside Joel yeah. and Ellie. Yeah. Sure. But, you know, we could have had them show up. We could have had a big battle. Like we, So we get a big battle in this episode, sort of. We get the raiders attacking Joel, not so suddenly. Humans attacking, not zombies. Humans, exactly. ra- raiders going, oh my God, neighborhood full of shit here. So not surprising. Exactly. Joel not so subtly lays out exactly what's going to happen in the yeah. plot. <laughs> As it comes I was like, along. thanks, buddy. Okay. And it, it literally <laughs> happens the next minute. The, the, the show is leaning a bit on the exposition. Sometimes oh, yeah. I find it obnoxious. Sometimes I appreciate it. And I think that's true about all exposition in a yeah. lot of stuff. Yeah. Like I do this appreciate- just wasn't laid very subtly. Like, it was literally like he says, they're going to come. They're going to come at night. They're going to come quietly. And sure, the, the next second, that's exactly <laughs> what was happening. Exactly. And we do get a big spicy action scene, which I did like, and I thought was very frightening. And, you know, you've got the superpower fire fences and the guns and people screaming and dying and bullets flying. And what I would have chosen if I were writing was I would have that as sort of a cliffhanger moment where, you know, we get Bill shot. And this is actually legitimately what I thought was going to happen while it was playing out. I thought we'd have Bill shot. Frank gets him back in the house. You know, he's literally saying to Frank, call Joel, get Joel. I thought we that would have been a great moment to have a cliffhanger. I was sure we were going to cut away at that moment back to Joel and Ellie. Yeah. Then you get them showing up. They see dead bodies lying outside. Maybe the raiders managed to break down a gate. All hell looks like it's broken loose. And then you get in there and you find that Bill and Frank are okay. And that all of these events have taken place in the present storyline and not 10 years before. You know, we could have just given Joel and Ellie their shit. We could have had those, I don't know, fun banter moments go on again. A, a reprise of Bill and Joel's interactions. Maybe a sweet, nice moment. Or even better, I mean, Frank clearly we saw had a bond with Tess. What a heartbreaking thing it would have been for him to receive the news from Joel that Tess is dead. And then they could have gotten their truck, gone on their way. And even if we didn't visit Joel, one thing that I love, even though it's a little cheesy, but it's something that I always get a kick out of, is when you have a really nice thought out subplot with some characters, you leave them behind in the narrative, the story goes on. And then at the very end of the series, you see those characters again, even if it's just like a cameo appearance or something like that. And wouldn't that have been great? Like we know that Bill and Frank are safe in this compound. Exactly. It's a civil war fortress. It is because I got civil war vibes when he got shot and he's on Mm -hmm. the dining room table. It's a very old fashioned look. And then there's fire outside. And then the whole thing reminded me of this compound that I mentioned that I visited in the States. Like, it's just instead of surrounded by wood, it's surrounded by barbed wire. But Mm -hmm. it's a very similar thing of this stronghold. And I thought it could have turned into that, like, in the war, they could have been, like, their outpost for, like, getting resources and then selling them or trading them. Like, it could have been a whole enterprise that these gay people were running and it would have given them like a purpose in the world and exactly right like there's no reason bill and frank couldn't have stayed on being gay in that fortress and even if we never did touch on them again like they did play a very like important although perhaps small in the grand scheme of the narrative but still important role in joel and ellie's journey i would have loved that over sort of the like oh they're dead but they very sweetly left you all of their stuff i mean it's just it's too conclusive for my liking and i guess the showrunners really wanted to make sure that the narrative of bill and frank was wrapped up i would have thought that bill and frank when i first saw them cast if they had been like i don't know members of the fireflies or some people that help facilitate a leg of joel and ellie's journey in a longer fashion i would have taken that quite honestly like i was i was okay with the story concluding where it was i understood but i won't really be satisfied ultimately 
until we get a six seasons and a movie story where it's just gays. <laughs> gays yeah. and the zombies. Absolutely. I, no sure. straight people to be seen. They can play the zombies if they want. But I want a, a, a zombie narrative where the gays are central and they go on and play pivotal roles. And we get to see them not just in like a, a cute, sappy, romantic way, but with all the complexities that we are seeing straight characters usually get to play through in these stories. Yeah. I, I feel like they found it very difficult to give them any real flaws, except for ones that could be played for comedy. Mm -hmm. Because Bill shouldn't have been as as enjoyable as he was. And I, I mean, I, I think part of this, I was, you know, I, I had mentioned, like, I think this is a me problem as much as a them problem, but I do stand by it because, I mean, when I think of queer content and I, and I don't want people to think that I'm anti seeing gay people in a thing. Like I was saying, I'm the queerest bugger there is. This is not the problem, but I don't like this. I don't like any content where I'm thinking I'm getting like a horror movie and I get this like kissy kissy face like thing for so long. A little uh -huh. bit is okay, but this was a whole show basically of a very, I'm sorry to say like a, a, a gay couple posing as a straight couple. Mm. Like that's sort of what I got out of it a little bit. Like it was very what straight people expect of a romantic relationship to see. Like it's very... There's a bit of that to me. Um, but when I think of like queer content where I go like, whoa, that was wild is <laughs> something like, you know, the the shape of a dog or whatever. Right. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know, and again, that's not a queer actor. So that's its own set of issues. But what it showed was that not only can gay people be unpleasant, they can be complete crazy sociopaths uh -huh. self-loathing this from and i mean that's too dark for this i'm not saying they had to go that dark but once you see that this seems unbelievably tame almost to an insulting level mm. because they're afraid to give them really negative qualities that i think would have really spiced things up right and that's the funny thing, too. Like, I was reading about the character of Bill in the game after the fact. And apparently, in the video game, he's a total asshole. Right. And just all that paranoid QAnon stuff right to the front. And I might have not wanted to see as much of that in this. But there is there is a certain saccharine component to what we saw in episode three. And I do think you make a very good point there about the straight interpretation of romantic love being transposed onto queer people. Yeah. Now, did I shed a few tears during the strawberry scene? <laughs> yes, I did. Sure. I, I got my weepy moment. I thought it was cute. Yeah. But I... I thought it was long. <laughs> I know you did. I know you did. And I... That's okay, I, but I must, I must also sociopath. So, you know, well, I shouldn't make a joke about that. I'm not. But, I mean, only child. Exactly. You make the decision, you know. And I I have a, a sweet spot for those moments. But I do think you could have kept the strawberry scene. If if Bill and Frank were longer running characters in this narrative and or more central and they, you know, went through the horrors and the moments of relief and then the moments of despair and joy alongside an arc similar to what Joel and Ellie are going to have, then a moment that is super sweet and gentle like the strawberry scene would have had maybe more impact. Now, again, I was crying for the strawberry scene and it did have its impact on me. But yeah. I think, you know, right but I now, understand what you're saying too, like a, a little touch of that it should have been more of a contrast i think we'd already had quite a bit of that mm -hmm. cute it, stuff right it was and so they just went well this is even cuter and i was like i'm feeling sick like this is it's too much but if that yeah. had come in as a contrast to some other horrible stuff they'd gone through maybe that's what they were trying like did that come after the attack or before the the attack from the raiders I think it came. No, it did come before. It was because, okay. 
The attack from the Raiders was the, when we got another time jump. Right. The, that They took that moment as well in that strawberry scene for the the sort of, you know, for, for the Bill character to say, you know, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm getting old faster than you. And the other guy's like, oh, I like it. Like whatever he <laughs> says. But he... He says, you know, we're doing great. We're still here, which is the best thing that he got to say in the whole, like, he's right. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, they want to show you this, you know, maybe a little clumsy, but it's a twist of irony mm-hmm. that he ends up in a wheelchair in the next time jump. The younger guy yeah, is in a chair from some degenerative illness that you thought may- maybe MS, I thought maybe ALS, but something, something bad. And that leads us to... <laughs> The grand finale of the narrative of Bill and Frank, which, you know. Where we both took a little pause on this. It was very theatrical, to say the least. But they wanted to make sure you knew that this wasn't theatrical. By having one of the characters literally say, this isn't the end of some tragic play. And I'm on the TV, I'm like, yes, it is. Ma'am, this is Shakespeare. (laughs) This is Romeo and Juliet. Like, what? What an uncomplex, simple thing that is so difficult to swallow to me. I mean, it's it's really hard. I spent a lot of time thinking about this afterward and what, God forbid, I if I were ever in a situation even remotely like this, but yeah. it, it is hard to say what exactly you would feel because on the one hand, sure, the world has collapsed and you do have this degenerative disease and i think frank at one point does say there was no cure for this before yeah anyway and and so i can see the outlook where it's like let's go while i still have my mind let's go you know while we still have a peaceful moment who knows who's coming to knock down the door the next day but i know that if i were in bill's position i would be flipping a table and be like what do you mean we've survived all this this way you can't give up i would be furious at the suggestion hypothetically i mean again let's hope we never get into this situation but like i have trouble with the romanticism of it i never find this sort of thing romantic really i know and it didn't help that they actually said this is so romantic i was like stop it stop telling me what to think because i am not thinking that let me tell you and I don't doubt that it would be exactly in the, the, the thought process of Frank as a character, since we've seen Frank yeah. sort of play out like this character. Be throughout. that guy. Yeah. Be that yeah. guy I want to slap a little bit. Yeah. Exactly. So like, like from their meet cute at the beginning when he plunges into <laughs> Bill's big gaping hole, very on the nose, right through all of the, like, the wine shop and stuff. So Frank yeah. has elements of a character where I would think, oh yeah, he yeah. thinks He that. wants to be Juliet. Exactly. He wants yeah. to do that. And so, I don't know. But again, like, it's, it, I don't think it's implausible. And maybe this really is just a case of me chafing against, a, like, a choice that yeah. works for some. And it's just not a choice, narratively, that I would make in my own version of telling a story like this. But they do it. Crush those pills into that expensive bottle of wine and go off to bed. Crack a yes. window. Well, Bill decides to die too yeah i'm like fucking great like that pissed me off even more and Mm. i knew once i knew that the one guy was doing it i was like they better not have this other guy off himself and they did i was like come on really you think this guy is going to commit suicide because i have trouble even with that with the character that they wrote yeah it's like he's changed because no he's in love i'm like come on he survived all those years with a zombie apocalypse and all that. And now he's just like, well, I guess I'll take some pills, lie down with my guy, and we'll just rot in bed together. Yeah. I get where they're going with the character arc and how this is meant to be sort of like, oh, look how much he's grown. But it doesn't feel like rewarding growth. No. I, I, I would be frustrated if I were like their friend and be like, guys, Come on, we got to go harvest some corn or something. Let's yeah. Let, let's get it. Uh, yeah. But they did not die getting shot in the head by horrible, murderous yeah. raiders. They did not get their throats ripped out. That's apparently how Frank dies in the video game. He's fed up with Bill's shit. He leaves the compound. Apparently, he's on his way to go meet a smuggler to get let back into the Boston 
or let into the Boston quarantine zone, and then he gets devoured by zombies and hangs himself, and he hangs himself before he turns. I would still prefer this over that, for sure. sure. And I did... So I, I had my two weepy moments. I had my weepy moment, one, with the strawberries, and I did have my weepy moment with the open window. I thought it was right. a very lovely scene. Apparently, again, that's something from the video game. Yeah. Where the loading screen for the video game, where the main menu screen is an open window, and the players, the fan base, has associated that with very peaceful moments. And the showrunners were originally going to include a scene like that in every one of the episodes. And then they were like, hmm. Perhaps a yeah, because wasn't there something like that in episode one? Yeah, yeah. There was something, like, I think in so the house. Know. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Joel sees a guitar or something. It's all, it's supposed to be like, oh, when you see this window, it's a peaceful moment in the chaos. And I didn't know that when watching the first episode. So I just thought it was a lovely sort of, this is Frank and Bill's last view as they die. Yeah. They get to see the peaceful town the haven that they were able to create together and out their window their last view of the world isn't zombies racing through eating people it's not the government shooting people up it's just a picturesque um farm thing i liked that too like for for what they had set up in the show which i was not completely satisfied with but i did think that was a lovely way to end it however asterisk just a little (laughs) note let me tell you I don't care how far they open that window. When Joel and Ellie come across that house, they wouldn't have been like, hello, where could they be? Oh, there's a letter here. I'm like, honey, I don't care how wide that window is open. That's the first thing you would smell. It would hit you like a punch in the face. And I'm not going to talk about why I know that, but I do. Uh They would know that you would just say they're, they're gone. They would know. They would know. They would know. Absolutely. Like, it was it. Like, there's two dead, dead guys upstairs with the window open. <laughs> and the breeze is coming into the house. Like, it is not good. It's but everywhere. <laughs> we should just mention why Joel and Ellie have come by for supplies or what have you. And they do find this letter. And it's sort of like, to whomever, but probably Joel. Uh-huh. And he has Ellie read it to him. Mm-hmm. And they sort of say, like, take whatever you want. So it's very handy for them, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's a very deep dive for a single pivotal plot point, which, again, depending on how, like, I get it, right? They're trying to stretch out the narrative here and make the video game content last for the season. I think this was a, a fairly interesting way to do it. Again, I would have preferred to have had this more thoroughly incorporated into the main narrative, but I still appreciate it. I've seen some truly garbage backstory sliding, side shoot going storylines in my day. So this was this was better than it was worse. But again, it would it really have been so terrible if we could have had that cliffhanger moment during the battle and then had Joel and Ellie show up to a devastated compound and find Frank and Bill alive. And then have that moment there. Like, I I think ultimately I would have preferred that. And apparently that would have been closer to what would have happened in the video game. They do actually see Bill and interact with Bill. And then they leave him. And he's an asshole to them the whole time. And then yeah. away they go and they don't come back. And so, again, I guess this is the showrunners putting a complete closure into the episode. Yes. I didn't necessarily need it that way. No, I would have... Listen, you could have even still put Frank in a chair. I don't understand why they had to kill them off so so succinctly and so neatly just so Ellie and Joel could raid their fucking house. Like, I was just like, there surely was... Like, I wanted at least, at least Bill Mm -hmm. to survive. I mean, it would have been nice for both of them, but I thought at least bring Nick Offerman back. Like, come on. Like, the guy's awesome i know i understand it's the non-queer actor plan that's that's a whole other podcast right there but he was awesome and i would have at least liked to see him come back and i think it was completely possible to do and they just didn't want to leave those i mean i don't want to say it was lazy but i don't know what it was like i, I just thought it was weird they were they were trying to make the audience 
have closure on these characters and feel good about this storyline being wrapped up. And it's not lazy so much, I guess, as it is just like very, very convenient. You don't have to worry about clearing Murray Bartlett and um, Nick Offerman's schedules down the line. Yeah, and yeah. That kind of thing. Obviously, these characters are going to be fan favorites going forward. So I think they're they're getting in ahead of the like, bring Nick Offerman back, bring Nick Offerman back. Though, I would have kept him around to fall in love with Pedro Pascal. <laughs> so, Lila, we can't do that. But he could add another guy when they get back. Like, I, I could have seen him keeping that town as, like, some kind of outpost in the war. Yeah. Like, again, going back to the Civil War thing, like, why not? And have him, like, controlling, like, like amounts and, like, what people get and rations and so forth. Like, he'd be all over that shit. Yeah. Right? Like, and it would be, a gay, like, one or two, whether, you know, the partner lived or died, but it would be gay characters who had a function and purpose in regular society, not just, and I mean, I'd love to see your your fantasy gay zombie movie as well, but it also <laughs> would be an interesting reflection of life to see them just integrated Mm-hmm. into society peacefully without getting attacked or what what have you and have like a function and be like controlling stuff and like looking after stuff because that's believable to me exactly overall this episode was was good i liked it yeah i got a lot out of it i think right now the euphoria on the internet of people just feeling so happy they got to see gay people in a zombie story is what's dominating the narrative. And I get that. I'm feeling a part of that euphoria too. But I think when, you know, that kind of has cleared out of the way a little bit, people will revisit this episode and see it in a more balanced light. And that's okay, right? You can love something, it can make you feel good, and then you can come back and have a new perspective you can critique something while you still enjoyed it. It's all okay, people. Yes, That's yes. part of the beauty of art. I think I think what it is is was this a huge improvement over a lot like of say mainstream TV when they try to work gay and lesbian people into their show? Is this an improvement over what's been seen before for like for quote straight content? Absolutely it is. One hundred percent. Did I still end the episode going? Well, they tried their best. Yes, mm-hmm. I did. And that's, you know, that's what we usually say. Yeah. Well, they tried. Yeah. They tried exactly. their best. They did try their best. God love them. I I think it was better than what's come before. I still want more. And that's okay. I want more gay people shooting shit and less having sex. Yes. I'm not joking. <laughs> We know all couples have sex. Like, you don't have, like, I felt like they're almost like, we're going here. Ooh. And I'm like, yeah, I don't care about that. I want to see gay people, like, as part of the action. Yeah. And, like, shooting the shit. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and they they, they showed that as well. But I, I guess it's sort of the basic, like, look, they're humans, too. And I'm like, come on now. Exactly. <laughs> I just want, I, I want a very grumpy old lady. <laughs> that you are, Jerrica. And we love yes, you for I, it. I, Okay. Yeah, I wanted I want to see the full breadth of human experience committed to queer characters. I want to see community. This, you know, zombie stuff really has a soft spot in my heart because back when I was getting into it in university, uh, me and my queer friends, every Friday night, we would get together and have a zombie night and we would watch some zombie fiction. We would incorporate zombie jokes into our everyday lives sure but we'd also talk about the very real scenario of what it means to be queer in disaster situations sure and apply to that i went to university in alberta too so that there's always the chance that you know a pitchfork wielding mob might come and drag you from your bed in the night and so we often talked as young queer people about our queerness and our community in disaster situations and we were also desperate this was back in like 2009 so going back over a decade we were also desperate about seeing ourselves in something like this and i did get to see more of me in this than i have in pretty much any zombie story i've seen before but i i still want to see the fullness of me and my friends in this in these kinds of shows 
So well said. Anyway, I'm still excited for next week. How Absolutely. About you? Okay. I'm, I'm excited to get back on the road, baby. And now they've got a car and the kids acting like she's in, in the Challenger spaceship, but they've got a car. It's, it's, uh, it's exciting. So now they can move a little faster exactly. and who knows what horrors we will come across. Ellie's got a gun. So watch out people. And Ellie has found herself a gun unbeknownst to Joel. who said, you can't, you can't have a gun. But <laughs> she found one because they were, they were at that house that is full of guns. And yeah, so I she found a little one in a drawer and she just went, whoop. Ellie's going to shoot somebody. Yeah. Can't wait. <laughs> Will it be a good guy or a bad guy? We don't know. Will she save Joel's life or shoot him in the butt? Who knows? Well, she's got tampons now too, and that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, so. she got her tampon. She found a zombie, but she also found Tampex Pearl. Exactly. And that's something to get excited about right there. I was very happy for her. Bless yeah, her heart. Me too. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, that's a rough world for a 14-year-old girl, for sure. She is tough, but Tampex are nice, too. Right. Finding menstrual products and getting a shower, these are things that would be very, very important in the zombie apocalypse. All right, well, we've talked our faces off. I want to just clarify, this is a very special episode. And our next episode will be back to our normal length of about 40 minutes. But this one's going to be a little longer. We'll see how much longer in the edit. Wonderful. Well, Jerrica, until then, can't wait to chat. All right. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Milo. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Popular Parallax Limited Series Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Popular Parallax. Episode produced by Anne Meehan. Theme song by Ken Chamberlain. We'll see you next time. And remember... Daddy is a state of mind, you know what I'm saying? I'm your daddy. <laughs>